very excited to dive into the passage where we're at, because I think it is very much in line with the heartbeat of Redemption Chapel, but I, only that matters because I think it is in the heartbeat of Jesus. I mean, this is something that he is so passionate about. So he is squaring off with the religious leaders again, which is never good. I mean, I don't know why they keep coming at him again in the passage. It says he knows your thoughts, like stop arguing with the man. But so here they are still coming at Jesus and arguing because they don't think his disciples look religious enough. So we're talking about prayer, fasting. We're talking about the Sabbath. And what do you do with all these religious things? And I think this is so important because so many of you, maybe through your upbringing or through what else, you experienced some religion. You went to church, maybe you knew some of God's rules, and you had rules put on you, but you missed the whole point. Maybe you were taught poorly. I don't know how you got there, but that is the warning coming out of this passage. As we look at religion and religious activity, if you will, most of the time people ask me if I'm religious. I'll say, well, no, of course not, but does that mean we don't do anything? I don't think we go that way either. So how do we make sure we go to church, we do some things, but we don't miss the whole point? All right, so let's look at that together. We're in Luke 5. You can follow along as I read. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. So did the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. But no one, after drinking the old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. So let's dive into that. Because here's the deal. I mean, you look at it, and we're going to talk about not missing the point. We've got to start with, okay, what is the point? What is the reason for all this? And what does Jesus point us to? What's the illustration that he runs to in looking at religious activity? It was a wedding feast. I mean, we need to understand all of our religious activity in light of that. What is a wedding feast? What does that symbolize? There's two things that I want to draw out. One, the obvious it's a relationship. So as he talks about, you know, doing these things like prayer, fasting, you know, going to church, however you want to fill in that blank, you got to understand that in light of relationship. I mean, all of that. I mean, a wedding is a celebration of relationship. Do not divorce it from that. If you take it from the very point of it, which is to connect with God, to love God more, you're going to miss the point. Maybe you weren't raised in that. Maybe you missed that. But that's what you got to understand or else you're going to get off track. It is a celebration of relationship. But you also see in there, he's talking about how the relationship is going to change. You know, I mean, a wedding, you know, is celebrating a relationship, but it's also a change in that relationship. You know, husbands don't always grasp that after they get married. Like, you know, sometimes, hey, some things should change here. I had a, a pastor friend of mine. It was like the very first day he was home from his honeymoon. He's like driving home from work, and his brother calls him like, hey, man, I got the new Madden. Come over. And he's like, Aah! you know, doing donuts in the parking lot. He's going to like play Madden until four in the morning, and it like dawns on him on the way there. Like, 
I think I'm married. I don't know that I could just go play mad until four in the morning right now. Like, I should probably call my wife, you know. And so some of that, you know, you look at a wedding feast, and that gets into that with the old garment and the new wine. He's saying, look, how you have, I mean, Jesus is changing the whole game of how you have relationship with God. He's saying, I'm ushering in a whole new way for people to be able to connect with God. New wine and new wineskins. An old wineskin would have been brittle. I mean, it would have already been really stretched out, and you put new wine in there, and as it expanded, that would have burst and spilled. And that's what he's telling them. Look, I'm ushering in a whole new way, and you need to understand that. So all this, all your religious duties, all these things you do are about relationship with me, and I'm changing how you connect with God, and it's through me. So that's the principle he lays out. That's the point of all of it. And then we go straight into an object lesson with the Pharisees to show how they are totally missing it. So I want to kind of jump into that as they dive in and talk about the Sabbath. He said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand right here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Clearly, he talked about how they are totally missing the point. If you ever watch a miracle, a praise Jesus miracle of God, and your next response is one of fury, you're probably off. Like, you may want to, you know, dial in your radar a little bit. I mean, they totally missed the point. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all discussed this. This scene is covered in each of those gospel books where they each talk about this. Mark draws out, in particular, right in this time, how Jesus was furious. I mean, he was livid at this time. It said he was angry and grieved. We gotta have a better picture of Jesus, I think. I mean, sometimes we do just picture him and he's always just petting sheep and flowing and walking around. I mean, Jesus was a much more courageous, fuller. I mean, at this time, he was filled with the word, when I studied it, was violent passion. I mean, Jesus was livid at this. Why? I think there's something particular about these religious elite that dro- drove Jesus crazy. Because look, so many people, when you're far from God, you generally know it. You generally understand that, and there's a chance you're going to come to your senses, repent, and come back. But the problem is, with these religious folks what they taught and did people, what they did to people was that they would have them believe that if you've done enough little religious things, you and God were okay. And God says, Jesus says, you're totally missing the point. Just because you've gone through a couple religious exercises doesn't all of a sudden make you good with God. And that's why I think Jesus is like, I mean, flipping out. I think he's got a big old vein in his head at this scene as you picture like, what are you guys doing? You're making people think they're okay and at peace with me because you've taken them through some religious steps. That is empty. 
is not what I'm about. I'm about relationship with him. So we need to grasp that. And I think that is why I think Jesus is so upset at this. But I love this picture. Again, we have to have a broader view of Jesus. This is so bold in this moment. When he says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, I mean, you don't understand how big of a thing that is to say. I mean, the Sabbath, the law, that was how people related to God. And Jesus was saying, I'm the Lord of that. I wrote the law. I wrote the Bible. I am the new way to God. King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Like, that's how bold this is. Like, I don't know two people that could say that. Jesus Christ, and to a much lesser degree, Denzel Washington. But the point is, like, you got to understand how bold this is. I mean, for him to say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I love this. Did you catch, like, what's going on here? So they bring this man into the synagogue. Take it, they actually, there is hints of the text that they planted this guy here just to trap Jesus. And Jesus doesn't back down at all. I mean, he looks at them, and he could have, you know, I mean, like, oh, man, the guys with the religious hats, they look so mean. Like, can you meet me out in the hallway? I'll heal you out there. You know, like, he doesn't do any of that. He has them stand in front of everybody. He says, I want everybody to see this. And then he says he looked at every single one of them. He says, I want you to stretch out your hand. I don't want anybody to miss this because you have gotten this so backwards with your empty religion. You need to understand the point. And it's, I desire to connect with you. I desire to have a wedding feast with you and celebrate with you. So I want to make sure you don't miss the point. I think so many people were raised in this way, totally missing all of it. So how can you surefire way know if you're missing the point? Let's look at this together. A couple things to help you navigate this. You might be missing the point if you add man-made rules to God's rules. That is clearly what's happening here. So do you know, so God's rule, keep the Sabbath. So the religious elite added 39 extra rules on how to keep the Sabbath. Like, how do you ruin the Sabbath? Do you know, it's a day off. God said, you look tired. How about a day off? And you ruined it. Like, how do you do that? They added all these rules and made it extra work to obey God's rule, which is a gift to them, a day off. It's like giving your kid ice cream, and here's ice cream, and here's 39 rules about how to eat your ice cream. Like, don't ruin that. Just let them have the ice cream. My kid throws ice cream all over the seat every time we go. It's ice cream. He actually uses his finger as like a dipstick. That's how he eats his ice cream. I'm like, whatever. I start doing it too. It's awesome. It's ice cream. <laughs> but that's what we do to God. We take his rules, and then his rules aren't good enough, so we add to them and make his rules difficult. Is that the point? Maybe you were raised in a place where there wasn't just God's rules. There was all kind of rules added on top of that. Even as Jesus already introduced wine, that's a perfect you know, illustration. You think of alcohol. You know, God has a rule, don't get drunk. What do we do? Well, don't get drunk. You can't, you can't have any alcohol. You can't go to a bar. You can't go to people with go to bars. And then we go, and you couldn't hang out with these people. And then we add all these rules on top of God's rules. I mean, what is that? I mean, in some ways, we're missing the point because we're so hung up on these externals and rules and getting our spiritual resume and checking all these boxes and looking good on the outside. 
But yet we missed the whole point. Maybe you were raised with that, where there's man-made rules. Or was this a case for you? Religion was just a tool to condemn people. That is exactly what's happening here. So they wanted to accuse Jesus. They wanted to condemn him. Would they say, oh, the Sabbath. And we'll just trap him, you know, with religion, and that way we can condemn him. You ever been in a place? I'm sure no churches are like that, right? I'm sure. I mean, you've seen that where churches just use the Bible and religion to condemn people, to make them feel judged, to make them feel horrible, to let them know you're on the outs. If that is true of you, if you are raised in that setting and that grieves you, I want you to be at peace because that grieves Jesus as well. That breaks God's heart. His word was never meant to be a tool to condemn other people. You know, actually, I rewrote this slide. The first time I wrote it, it was a tool to condemn others. But then it dawned on me, it's not always just other people, is it? You ever just use religion to beat yourself up? To feel horrible about yourself that, man, I didn't have my quiet time today or I missed church. And then you're not doing your religion right. And so you do that to make yourself not feel like a good Christian or a real Christian. And then you just beat yourself up. If that's what you came from, that religious you know, activity to go into church is a tool to condemn others and condemn yourself, you've missed the whole point. If you don't go to church or if you, you know, miss a quiet time and you feel like this, like, you might be missing the point. That is one of the greatest skits of all time. I don't know. <laughs> There's something about Chris Farley asking Paul McCartney, hey, remember when you played with the Beatles? That was awesome. I don't know, it just works for me. But if that's you, do you ever do that? You know, if you miss church, or if you, you know, miss time of the Lord, and you're just like, idiot, stupid, stupid. It's so good. But none of us have ever beat ourselves up because we're not religious enough like some of those other good religious folks. If you do that, you might be missing the point. You gotta get this down. We gotta go to the next slide. <laughs> or does it lead you to pride? You ever been in those circles or ever done that? Feel good about yourself because you got a nice, good religious resume and you feel proud because, you know, you go to Bible, you, you know, you know the Bible, you go to Bible study, you register for women's study even before the announcement, you know, like look at you. Look how impressive that, you know. I mean, we do that, right? You get puffed up as if you're building a spiritual resume. You know, you go to church enough. You know, you do enough religious things as if you're gonna hand that to God and he's gonna be impressed. And then we condemn others and it puffs us up like, oh, wow, he only went to church that many times. Whew. Not clearly not as good as me. If you have ever felt proud because you've done some things in the church, you've missed the whole point. That's not what it's about. It's not about building yourself up and making yourself feel impressive. You missed the point. What about this last one? If it makes you self-centered. Remember as Jesus talked about the Sabbath. He's like, wait a minute. Like, these things that I've put out before you, are they supposed to do good or harm? To save life or destroy He's like condemning them. I mean, he's coming at them and telling them, look, you've missed the whole point. You're using my name. You're using religion to become worse people. That's the exact opposite. If in your, you know, going to church, reading the Bible, does it make you more loving, more gracious, maybe you're missing the point. I mean, I debate on this slide too. I actually 
like makes you self-centered, like makes you a big meanie face or curmudgeon. Like, but you ever see that? You ever notice that sometimes? Super religious people are some of the meanest people you ever met. I'm like, something doesn't seem right. Like, I've seen that in my life. I went to a, you know, religious school. So I was in a private religious school for you know, some of my younger years, and I figured this out at eight. All my teachers were some of the meanest people I ever met. I'm like, I don't think you guys are doing this right. Something's off. Because God says, look, my rules, you know, church, all these things are to help you love me better and love other people. If as you become more involved in the church, whatever, if you're becoming more self-centered, you're missing the whole point. I hear this story sometimes, and it makes me want to throw up. I've seen this sometimes. Christians will go out to eat. You know, instead of being generous and leaving a tip, they'll just leave a track about the gospel, and so that way you don't have to get out, you know, get out on giving a tip. Are you kidding me? You're going to stiff that waitress five bucks so you can be more selfish, and you're going to hide it under your religion, under sliding a gospel track? Are you crazy? You're missing the whole point. The whole point is so you could be more loving to me and be more gracious to others. If it doesn't lead you that way, and some people, I think, you know, have only experienced empty religion. But I think some of us, even as we've stepped in a relationship, we fall back into this mentality of proving ourselves to God, becoming more selfish, whatever it is. But please do not miss the point. But I do want to be careful. So I think as well, sometimes we can make this old mistake. I don't think we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, pure religion, if you feel like, you know, you're going to make yourself acceptable to God by doing stuff, like, that's completely out the window. But here in this passage, what are we talking about? Prayer, fasting, the Sabbath. And what Jesus doesn't do is say, ah, oh, that doesn't matter. Ah, oh, don't worry about praying. Don't worry about fasting. You know, finding your rest in me. None of that matters anymore. That's just religion. And don't, tell me, raise your hand if you've heard this one. Oh, you know, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Anybody heard that one? You know what that is half the time? I mean, that's just an excuse not to pursue a relationship with God. The illustration that keeps coming to my mind is this idea, you know, I mean, Jesus lays down a wedding. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be in intimate fellowship with you, and that's what I want to push for. Relational effort, not empty religion. But the Pharisees, they were just like religious bridezillas. Like they go, hey, you know, you, I want to get married, and all of a sudden you're just like perfectly into planning and making sure everything's right. Every couple I sit down with that I, you know, I'm interviewing to marry, I tell them, hey, don't forget the point. Remember the whole point of this is to get married, not to have a perfect, you know, wedding celebration. And I get to see the bridezillas just like bubbling up, like, all right, sure, you know. But like, I think that's exactly what the Pharisees are. These are like religious bridezillas. If God said, I want to marry you, and they're like, all right, we got to do it perfect, and I want to get, you know, and anybody who crosses them, you know, feels their wrath. You ever cross a bridezilla? I mean, it's nasty. The answer is no, because you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have survived it if you did. But that's what they are. They're these religious bridezillas, but then what do we do? We can swing the other way. It doesn't matter. I, God loves me. I'm in a relationship with him. God always equates love and relationship. But okay, raise your hand if you're married. Raise your hand if you think marriage takes effort at times. It better have been one-to-one -one or you're in trouble. <laughs> right? 
But we, as if having a relationship with God Almighty would take no effort and you would need to do nothing to progress in that. So how do we do that well? Don't add rules, but you do listen to the ones that are there. I mean, this is simple. Don't add rules to God, but don't subtract rules. I mean, I feel like as a church, sometimes we have a hard time grasping this. Alcohol is another perfect example. You know, sometimes if you just want to be in a culture of grace and we're all about relationship and there's no truth there, it's like, all right, the law's fulfilled. On to lawlessness. You know, like, let's, Jesus talking about wine. Let me get some of that wine. You know, give me, give me that whole wine skin. Like, whoa, time out, chief. Like, it still says don't get drunk. So like, let's not forget about what it actually does say. And we do that in relationship to God. You know, we, and whenever we walk in sin, it affects that relationship. So don't subtract from what God says. I mean, don't, of course, don't add, but don't subtract either. Like, oh, I don't need to go to church. I'm spiritual. Well, wait a minute. It actually says don't, for, don't forsake meeting together. All right? And this is kind of a subpoint under that. You can keep personal rules, but keep personal rules personal. And alcohol is another perfect example of this. So you could say that, look, if in your relationship, and, and this is what you know, the posture most addicts would take, you know what, God says don't get drunk, and I know if I'm getting drunk, that's gonna affect my relationship with him, but I know myself. And if I have one, I'm having 27, like, so I'm not gonna have one, I'm out. You should do that. I affirm that, I respect that. If for you, you feel like, I just can't even touch alcohol, that's fantastic. I encourage that. But don't take that man-made rule and place it on somebody else. That's when it's trouble. Like I was just meeting, I was talking to a guy on the phone, and he was really wrestling with like music and songs and you know, what do I do? I just, can I listen to this song or can I listen to that? Like I can't make you know, a rule from God that says you can only listen to songs on 95.5 The Fish. Like, I, that's not in there. It just isn't. But from there, if you feel like, man, I gotta do this for me, that's fine. If I wanna say for my relationship with God, I need to get time in the word every morning. But then when I start saying you're not a real Christian if you don't, now we're in trouble. So keep personal rules personal. And then from there, get your heart right. Because we're talking about prayer and fasting. We're talking about the same activity, but it can be wildly different if your heart is in the wrong place. So like Christian Kirksey says, you gotta know your why. What is the why for you? Know why you do this. So yes, I think you should pray. But do it for the right reasons. I think you should get in the word, but don't condemn yourself and beat yourself up. In this passage, in Mark's version, he says, look, you know, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. Again, understanding the whole point of this says you're missing it. The whole point of all these things are my gift to you. God says, I want, I want to know you more. I want you to know me. He gives us his word. And all of a sudden, we use that as a tool to beat each other up and to condemn ourselves. It's crazy. Man, totally misses the point you got to get your heart right and understanding okay all these things are a gift from god so what i want you to do at the very least i mean next time you come to church anytime you get involved in any of these things i want you to just pray a simple prayer this is everybody's homework whatever religious activity you're involved in at any other level before you do that just pray 
God, I want to love you more because of this. God, I want to meet with you. Will you meet with me? Can I hear from you in this next hour or whatever it is you're doing? Pray that prayer next time you come to church. I mean, particularly with devotions and getting in the word, it's so easy to slip away from that and forget that as you're doing that, as you're praying, God Almighty sits down next to you and says, tell me about your life. Let me be here with you. The next time, maybe it's tomorrow, you open up your Bible before you start running into checking off your spiritual checklist, would you just say, God, will you speak to me? Will you just say something to me in this next hour? Because I want to love you more and I want to love others better. So from there, get your heart right and then show some effort. You should be doing something to be able to say, yeah, I'm spiritual, I love God. Okay, what does that look like? You should be able to fill in the blank and I want you right now to think of that. Okay, what is it for you that you could do to draw closer to God? I mean, I love the fasting one because he says, oh, no, they're going to fast. Like, when's the last time you fasted? And I'm not here to beat you up with that. It's just coming out of this. Hey, maybe you should decide to fast and say, you know what, for the right reasons. How different does this feel of feeling unacceptable to beat yourself up? You need to punish yourself and not have food so God makes you acceptable compared to just going to God and saying, God, I love you, and I want to skip lunch. I'm going to say no to my Wendy's four for four. It's a great deal. It's such value, but I value your word more than the four for four. I mean, what if you just said, you know what, God, I want to hear from you so bad. I'm just going to skip lunch. I'm going to skip dinner tonight. I'm just going to get in your word, because you say man doesn't live on bread alone, but the very word of God. God, I want to hear from you so bad. Maybe it's time you start getting in the word, jumping into men's and women's study. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to do something and do it for the right reason. So many religious folks, so many of us, we've missed the whole point. Don't miss the point. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You know what that word means? It means rest. I was meeting with somebody this week. It was a single mom who was raised in empty religion growing up. And of course, got nothing out of it and so walked away from it. And I could see it on her face. She was so tired and telling me, I'm just worn out. I can't do this anymore. She's just going at life alone. And I wanted in everything in me to tell her, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. God longs to give you rest. God doesn't want you to be alone in that. He's not trying to beat you up. He's not trying to push you away. In your tiredness, I want you to know that God wants to give you rest. How did it work for the man with a withered hand? Did God condemn him? What happened? Here was a man with a withered hand, and God restored him. As you sit in your seat right now, Don't beat yourself up. Don't feel proud. Don't whatever. I just want you to hear the invitation of God. Because I want a relationship with you. I want to restore you. I want to give you rest. Don't miss that this morning. Will you pray with me? Father God, I pray that you would move God, for so many of us, 
uh, that were raised with just some empty religious practices and feeling like we're okay with you and we have totally missed it. God, I pray that your spirit would move. God, that you would just breathe clarity. God, help us to understand that you are for us, not against us. That everything that you give to us, everything you ask of us is a gift. A gift that we can enjoy relationship with you. God, right now, would you prepare our hearts to be able to understand that? Will you speak truth? That you long for relationship with us, not empty religion. God, help us to believe that now in Jesus' name. Amen.